Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth. And today's guest is Ryan Edelson. He is an accomplished certified financial planner. He's also been recognized by Forbes magazine as a Forbes top best in state financial security professional. And he's been helping clients gain financial independence for over 20 years. Ryan is somebody that my husband and I have been working with for over 15 years. And I feel like he's been a game changer as far as me having the courage and feeling financially secure enough to start my own business. He has been with us through the ups and downs of job transitions uh, for Ryan. And I feel like he's such a he's such an ace in the hole when it comes to feeling brave enough to really kind of chase the life that you want. And that a lot of times gets halted by financial concerns. And a lot of times it can lead you into a scarcity mindset. So I wanted to have Ryan on the show because I really think it's important for anybody listening to this show to not put your head in the sand about your finances. I think it's great to have somebody who's quote unquote on your team. And he is a valued member of Team Pearson here. And I think that it can give you a lot of peace of mind when you pay attention to your money you have somebody else paying attention to it who it's like their total jam and passion to pay attention to it, which it is for Ryan, but also somebody who is going to encourage you to live your life to the fullest. So Ryan really values personal connections. He creates them with all of his clients and he really wants everybody to feel good about goal setting and like they actually can achieve it and that money is going to be a support system, not necessarily a hindrance. So we had a really great chat. It was a little bit more casual than Ryan's probably used to, but he knows me very well. So I had a whole list of questions for him and I asked none of them. (laughs) It was more conversational. So it was the questions I think that you might want answered. And if you're on the fence about working with a financial planner or advisor, this might be the sign. This could be the push to actually, you know, do the grown up thing, get somebody looking out for your money um, and somebody who's maybe smarter about it than even you are. So I put all of his links in the show notes, but I hope you enjoy the conversation and you take away with it a little bit of insight as to exactly like what he does, what the profession does, and why it might be a huge piece to you going out and living the best life you can. Ryan, thanks so much for being on the show. We've known each other for a very long time. I feel like it's got to be over 12, maybe 13 years. And I tell a lot of my clients that you're a huge piece in me leaving the corporate world and starting my own business because there were many moments of panic along the way. You got many text messages and phone calls where I was freaking out. And so I think being financially secure or at least feeling like you have a plan is a big piece to people kind of breaking out of this cage of mediocrity. And that could be their jobs. It could be these limiting beliefs. So I really appreciate you being a guest today. Hi. Appreciate you having me on the show. This is great. Yeah, Ryan's the best. And I want to give the listeners a little bit of insight into your background. So was there like, did you feel pulled or kind of a calling to become a financial advisor? Or was it something that you felt like you defaulted into after college? Because you were a D1 athlete and I felt like you kind of had a couple of paths in front of you. So what made you choose this one? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would go with the latter. I probably defaulted into it a little bit, but I knew that I always liked math. I had an affinity for that and finance. Uh, Ever since I was a young kid, I enjoyed saving as nerdy as as it is, budgeting, investing, seeing money grow, running graphs. And I think as I look back now, I've always had a value for delayed gratification in many areas of life and enjoyed saving more than spending. And so I don't, I don't, I don't think I knew exactly what I was getting into, but I thought that this lent well to a lot of my values and, uh, and experiences. 
So it's so interesting because a lot of these spiritual teachers say, you know, money is an energy and you have to release it in order for it to come back to you, right? And it will kind of build momentum as it returns to you. And like you, I am a saver, so is my husband. And so I can get into a scarcity mindset pretty quickly around money. Like, oof, I don't want to spend that. And oof. And especially I think some of the listeners of this show are moms and they're working moms. And it's really hard to invest financially in ourselves because this money piece is always this lingering reason. It's a wonderful excuse not to do something. It's like, well, I can't leave this job because of the money. So how do you balance that? Like being a risk taker because you're an entrepreneur, right? You have an entrepreneurial spirit, yet also being financially, quote unquote, responsible. It's a great question as well. I would say a couple of thoughts. It's funny you mentioned this, but I was thinking about my kids. One thing I told them yesterday, they're really young, five, three, and one, but I told my daughter, the best investment you can ever make is in yourself. So thinking about the return on my business and even talking to a client just this morning who's going to be leaving a job and starting his own business, the return on yourself and your business is probably the best investment you'll ever make. So with you or others, I definitely think that taking that leap, as long as you put the thought into it and you aren't just doing this irrationally, but if you've done the preparation, the time, the thought and been thoughtful about it, I think it's totally well worth it. Sorry, what was the last part of your question? Yeah, no. And and so like for you, are you okay? You kind of answered it, like spending in certain areas more so than others. Yeah, I think so. I mean... I think that even with Emily and I, we just did a uh, end of year budget. We went through kind of what the expectations are for last year. And we look at the year ahead and conservatively assume kind of what income would be. And then we try to uh, budget according to that. So it doesn't always work perfectly. And uh, one thing I've learned in 21 years of doing this, money is important and everything, but it's this business is a lot to do a lot more with emotions than it does the finances. So yeah, as long as you know I've put together as much thought as I can into something and been prepared, I like to prepare and probably over-prepare. Uh, as long as I put the thought into it, then I feel confident in, in whatever else we're going to be doing going forward. I feel like it's really, it's really hard to straddle that though. Like even when you said budget, and I'm sure a lot of people hear the word budget and they think constraint right? Like I could almost feel my body kind of tighten up, but I think that there can be freedom in a budget because if you, if you have some clarity on the available funds, you could kind of relax into that. Like, oh, okay. You know, we're actually good. I think for me, sometimes if there is a lack of a budget, because I don't want to put myself in a scarcity mindset with a budget, but I think it's actually having the opposite effect because then I won't save. You know what I mean? Like we were talking, Ryan and I, you know, we're doing some house renovations. And of course it's taking longer and costing more. And we had booked this ski trip with our girls to Big Bear and, you know, skiing isn't cheap. Right. And like the Airbnb we got wasn't cheap and all of this stuff, but we'd already prepaid. And I was going into this place of like, we shouldn't go on this trip. Let's just not go on this trip. I don't want to pay, you know, 120 bucks for some crappy lunch at the ski resort, all the stuff. Like we'll just stay home. And Ryan's looking at me like I'm nuts. Ryan being my husband. And he's like, these are memories though. Like, what are we doing with this money if we're not taking our kids on a ski trip? You know, all of these things. So, but if I would have had a budget, I would have been like, oh, we're like still well within the budget for recreation or whatever we have for the family that year. And I think it maybe would have made it easier to spend. Yeah, I'd say a lot of my clients are, I would say a majority of my clients underestimate, especially those in or near retirement, they underestimate their financial capacity and what they can spend. And 
uh, I have to try to get a lot of those people to actually spend money and tell them, hey, I don't want you to be the richest person in the graveyard. But like when you, when we had said budgeting, one thing that Emily and I do and I try to express to a lot of clients is most people aren't going to see, hey, I spent $2 at Starbucks or whatever it might be. So if we can back into it and reverse engineer it and say, hey, what do you need to save to hit your goals? And if you save that X per month, then feel free to spend the rest of your money, have fun, live life, do whatever you need to. And hopefully you can do that confidently because you know you're already doing what you need to to hit your financial goals. So I think that most clients would say that does give them what you just described as the financial freedom to not worry about where they're spending every penny if they're already doing what they need to to hit their goals. I love that. I think that's kind of like turning a budget on its head of like, it's actually a good thing and it can make you feel a little bit better when you're spending. Yeah. Because nobody's giving up their Starbucks, Brian, especially not me from my cold, dead hands. Will you pull away my Starbucks? I'm probably going to get a third today. That is one that I'm like, okay, spending money on because it brings me such joy that I'm like, this is a little thing that go for it. I don't really care. Right. Like it's, it's happening every single day as much as I want. That is a free pass. But I think that, you know, in this age too of people saying, oh, you know, spend it while you got it. YOLO, like just go out there and blow it. I think Mm -hmm. that that can be an excuse too to overspend, to say, well, if I don't spend it, then I'm going to stagnate this financial energy, right? Like I actually won't be participating in the cycle of this energy flow. So I think that it's important to have some sort of plan. And that's where you came in. When Ryan and I were both working for big companies we had started working with you. I think we were early 20s. We had probably just gotten married. So probably like 25, maybe. And a lot of people had a 401k going maybe with their company, but that was it. And you've been a huge game changer for us as far as not only just understanding our money, but having different insurance policies, like in case something happened to either one of us, I feel like we're good. You pushed us to get a trust established. I mean, you pushed that hard for years. We finally did it. But why do you think people are resistant to maybe seeking out working with a financial advisor? Do you think that on some end, they think they're going to be paying for something in commissions that isn't going to net a bigger return Probably. in the long run? I think so. I think cost is obviously potentially a big inhibitor. Like, what is this going to cost me? Is it worth it? At the end of the day, cost is usually not a concern if you're getting a lot of value, right? So I would say, what's the value that I'm getting out of something? And uh, I think that The reason why people call into us is typically they've spoken to other clients who've had good experiences. But if you haven't seen that or heard that, you know, there's there's good reason to be skeptical. Are you going to be tried? uh, Somebody going to try to sell you something that you don't need or want. Right. Uh, Are you going to have a pushy salesperson in some capacity? Also, it's for a lot of people, like we mentioned at the beginning, it's emotional. It's scary. One of the first questions I ask people is tell me what you learned about money and finances growing up. And you hear a lot of interesting stuff, but there's a lot that comes and a lot of baggage that comes with money. And so hearing people's stories and what their perspective is can really tell you a lot about that. But it's a lot of it's intimidating. It comes with a lot of emotion. It, you might think I'm going to tell you to change things, which is scary. And yeah, there's there's a lot to it. So it's um, add up all of that. And it's like, man, do I really want to deal with this? It's a lot easier to push it to the side and say, hey, I'll deal with it later and it'll all work out rather than actually potentially face those things head on. But one thing that I try to do, hopefully I do a good job of it, is ask good questions and try to see things from the client's perspective and where they're coming from. And I try to make sure I don't pass judgment and really lay out the facts and give them options 
so that it's not, hey, I'm telling you what to do. I'm like, hey, here's if you want to accomplish this, here's what you would need to do. If you want to get to this point, here's what it is. And if I'm in your shoes, knowing what I know about you, this is what I would encourage. But at the end of the day, this is your plan. I'll let you have the final decision. I often tell clients, you're going to be the CEO. You're going to be the boss. You're the owner of your plan. If we work together, you're hiring me to be your CFO. Ultimately, I'll report to you and give you the recommendation, but you make the final call. I love that you put it that way because I do feel like it's a team. And I think so many people are out here operating without any sort of team. And that's something that as a coach too, I'll say to people, I'm like, well, who's on team Sarah or whatever? And it's like, well, it's just me. You know, and it's like, I think that if you can get other people in on your team, looking out for you, helping you, you're only going to go further faster. Right. And I think another thing people might be skeptical about reaching out to a financial advisor is they might be embarrassed. They're like, hey, I don't have that much money. So I wanted to ask you, like, is there kind of a qualifier? Like, do you need to have a certain amount of money for it to make sense to work with a financial advisor? That's a great question. I would say, well, for us at this point, 21 years, we've set minimums. So for example, a million dollars of investable assets is typically a start. But one of the things that I have struggled with is working with clients when I'm younger, when I'm 22, I might be meeting with a 23 year old who's starting out as their his or her career and making, you know, 40 or 60,000 bucks a year. And I've grown with those people and I've made a promise to, to work with them. And so I didn't want to just say, okay, see you later. Best of luck to you. So I've hired people. And within my office, we've got others that are good fits for those that are uh, starting their careers and building. So how would I answer that question? I'd say, I don't think there's any point where it's too soon. It's just make sure that you're working with the right person that kind of fits your who you are at that moment. I think it could be great for relationships too, because like the number one, I think the number one reason people have reported getting a divorce is number one, in-laws. So it's actually family, which is, was surprising to me. And secondary is finances. And so I know that Ryan and I have had conversations about, should we do this? Should we not? And we say, let's ask Edelson, right? Like yeah. you, we will, we will pitch it to you. And it's this wonderful way of us not really getting in the mud with each other of like, I think we should do this. I think we shouldn't, we, we should be saving. Yeah. We should be spending. You're a wonderful person to bounce things off of. Like we just did a major renovation for our home. And it was like, do we do that? Or do we take that money and potentially look for an investment property to purchase, you know? And, sure. and what's wonderful is we can run the numbers with you. And, or when I remember one day, probably God, probably like eight years ago, I texted you and I'm like, is it okay if I go buy a Tesla today? Like I just want one. And within, and this is, you know, don't expect this of your financial advisor. Um, Ryan's just like the cream of the crop here. Within 30 minutes, I got a response like, here's what we got. And yes, you absolutely can. And here's why. It wasn't just like, yes or no, but it was these things of like, I felt like I was better informed to make a decision than if it was just me and my husband looking at our bank statements and saying, can we afford this or not? Because you paint this wonderful picture of, yes, you can start a business or you can buy an investment property that's going to push out retirement a year or two, you know, but if you're wanting to, if you feel like you're going to probably work an extra couple of years anyway, then it's a good investment. And you've yeah. said that to me a bunch too, like the best investment is yourself. Yeah. And mine really is because I doubled my business from last year, but it's like, I think that it's really good to have an objective third party, almost like a coach or a therapist or whatever, mm -hmm. like a CFO to say, here's what we're looking at versus, you know, people in a relationship, potentially it being a catalyst for a fight. Do you not for agree? Sure. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, I was just thinking that, you know, uh, I can say things to my wife or Emily can say things to me that is received differently. But if it came from a third party, it's it's okay, right? And so I find that, that we're often that happy medium, the balance, the objective mediator, we'll call it. Uh, but like you said, I, I don't just say yes or no. Typically, it's, hey, here's some of the pros, here's some of the cons. And ultimately, I try to and want the client to make it their decision. I don't want it to be, here's why you should or shouldn't do it. Go do this. I want it to be, I give you, I ask good questions and you generally find out the answer on your own. But yeah, I want I want to, to be a collaborative relationship where it's not just, hey, yes or no type of deal. And yeah. For sure. And I just want to give some insight too to the listeners that Throughout this process, like when we first met, you were always asking like about future plans, right? Um, because that's a big piece of what you do, helping us financially plan for the future. But with that, it can prompt these moments of like, well, what do I want to do, right? And I'd always kind of thought, uh, I, I don't want to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. And I think that's why I always worked for these lightning rod kind of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. was I wanted to do something like that. And with those conversations, though, because we were meeting... When we lived in Chicago, we're meeting at least once a year face to face. It was like literally at the kitchen table with Delilah and a bassinet, you know, in the other room. And we were talking about it and it kind of forces you to identify what it is you want for your long-term future when somebody's asking you and trying to plan for it. So throughout a lot of those conversations, it was able to surface that it was like, yeah, I, I don't want to work for somebody. And when I was at Skin Fix, it was like, okay, this is the last brand I'm going to work for. After this, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be for so I'm not going to work for somebody else. So this was this other piece too that I don't think people understand is when you work with a financial advisor, it will kind of force you to plan and ask yourself, okay, do I just want to keep working for this company for another 20 years? Like what's the plan here? And with that, I always tell people, and even in the book, I put like, it was kind of a five-year plan of like, okay, Elizabeth at some point isn't going to work for a company anymore. So we planned for that. So when the opportunity came, I was able to walk away and feel like you were looking out for us. Like we had had it, we had prepared for this. Yeah. I mean, ideally, if it's a good planner, they're asking those good questions and letting you figure out what is right. And and there's a, like I said, a happy balance. We don't want people just to continue to save and invest and think about, oh, I'm going to retire one day. There's obviously life to be lived today. And, um, you know, so there's a balance, but, you know, hopefully listening to clients and what they're trying to accomplish allows us to hold them accountable to what they want and told us they want to do. Because it's easy to procrastinate, punt on these things, et cetera. And, and yeah, I was, as you said that, I was thinking when was the last, for most people, when was the last time they literally spent an hour talking to somebody about their goals, what they're trying to accomplish, how they feel about money, you know, their kids' education and those types of things. I mean, that probably rarely occurs. And I'm guessing that most people's closest friends don't even know those things about them. So if you can build that relationship with somebody, that's that's quite important in my opinion. I totally agree. I think a big piece of it is like people need to get over some sort of like bar for success that they have in their brain of, Because sometimes when we weren't making as much or like the times when Ryan um, had reorgs at work and no longer had a job, you know, things like that. It was like, oof, like we called you, right? Like, here's what's going on. Are we okay? And it was this wonderful feedback of like, no, we're good. And we're good. We're actually would be okay for a year if Ryan didn't work or we would, you know what I mean? It was these things. So I think there's this whole other piece to it is like, there's the insurance, there's planning and all of this, but in these moments of your life where 
things changed with your stream of money or your income, it is. It's like, it's this really soothing conversation of like, nope, we're actually going to be okay. And the yeah. moments in my business, there were there were a couple of bad days there where I was like losing it. And I'm like, I got to just go get a job, right? Like resistance was coming in hard and you were great. And me, you, and um, my husband, Ryan all got on the phone and it was like, you really calmed those fears of we're actually okay. We've planned for this. Let's talk again in six months if you still don't have any clients, right? Yeah. And it was permission to keep following the dream yeah. or to keep at it, which is huge. I was just uh, before this, I got off the phone, a client from Texas called in and he was laid off and he had those same fears. He's like, gosh, do we stop contributing? What do I do here? You know, I potentially could have a new role within a different company in the same company. Like, you know, it's just a lot of panic and and uh, ultimately just, uh, you know, rationally, logically and and making sure that I've addressed their emotions first, but asking them and walking them through, hey, here's the path. You know, you're getting your severance. If you don't have a job in five months, let's reassess making changes. But most likely you'll have something or a little bit more clarity over the next little bit. And after 30 minutes, you're like, okay, you know, I got yes. this. But yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of fear and emotions and all this stuff. You lose your job at a place you were at for a decade. It's scary. And so just to have somebody to talk about it and plan things out is it, it was helpful to them. How many times, like since you've been down this path a few times with clients, how many times is it usually a blessing when people get laid off? I would say 99%. I literally just said this in 21 years, there's probably hundreds of clients that have been laid off, left, whatever it might be. And I can count on one hand, I think it's two, maybe three clients where it really turned out to be not so hot. But for most, there is plenty of gift and blessing in, uh, in whatever happened. Yes. And how many times have people left to start their own company percentage wise? Do you feel like typically if they're motivated enough to start something on their own, it usually works out? Or have you seen some crash and burn? Like I said, there's probably a couple that didn't go so hot. Uh, there's one that I'm seeing it, seeing next week where it's just been a money suck yeah. and it's, it's, it's not been good. They're going to be fine. They're not, you know living under a bridge or anything like that. They're right. gonna be okay. But yeah, it, it's definitely impacted their retirement plans quite a bit. You know, thought they were being done, let's just say 55 or something, and they're going to have to work till 65. So again, yeah. this is first world problems, but uh, but it's been a big impact. But no, crash and burn, very, very, very few. I would say most people, if you're going to start your own business, you've been entrepreneurial enough. You've thought about this for a long time. Yeah. You, you, you've you got the uh, gusto and, and desire to make it happen that you probably will in some capacity. And even if it doesn't, thinking of another client where it didn't work out so well, they learned a ton. Right. They made a ton of contacts. They're in a new role and doing even better in a you know more corporate environment. So again, even if that initial thing doesn't work out, it probably leads to something even better on the back end. Yeah. I love that. I wish too that there were more like I think that there are there are starting to like pop up these women, but like um financial kind of like advisory networking groups too of like women. They want to get together sure. and talk about money. It's kind of like a book club, but it's about money and, and little investment clubs and things like that. Are right. you a proponent of that? Right. Like at, at what point I feel like you can never really know too much about your money or money in general. I talked to my team yesterday. We have a Monday morning meeting and I have yet to go a single day in 21 years where there's not something I learn. I'm a big, as my wife would say, I value like education maybe too much, but that's why I got all those letters after my name. I love learning and 
I don't think you can ever learn too much. So yeah, yeah I mean, podcasts, internet, you know, one of the questions yeah. you had prepared was, I mean, there's so much you can learn. Just type in a couple things and you can listen and read things all day and, and learn a ton. So I don't think you can ever learn too much. And I agree. And I don't think that it's ever too small to start paying attention to your money. I think there can be this avoidance of money because it feels scary or it feels heavy or it feels boring. It's more fun to be out, you know, planning trips and spending and things like this. But I think sometimes if people really look at anxiety that's in their life, you know, and everybody jokes about like, we have a new baseline of high anxiety after COVID and all this stuff. Money is a massive part of that. And I think yeah. if you're trying to ignore your money and you don't know how much you have in the bank, you don't know where it's going, you don't know how it's growing, you're really just contributing to maybe even us on a subconscious level, anxiety for yourself. So it is, you know, his Ryan's team is the best. And I'm not going to say they haven't had to chase me for 401k stuff or this or that. But because of that, I every time I do it, it's like going to the dentist, you feel better, like, okay, that's good. You know what? And that's set yeah. now. And I don't have to worry about that. It's just having somebody else on your team. And I think we should all have many people on our team, but a financial advisor yeah. is a big one. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we always tell folks is, you know, we'll do a meeting or two for free and, you know, at least put you in the right direction. We always want at the end of the day, somebody to say, gosh, that was really helpful. I learned a lot, or I've got some immediate takeaways that can help me. So that that's really important to us. But yeah, I mean, I think that having somebody on your team as just a backdrop or somebody to call is super helpful. It's, it's, I tell everybody to um, people that I coach, it is the point of, you know, differentiation between starting a business or not, or leaning into something and like, what else are we doing here? Right. To your point, I love yeah. that you have this mix of like, don't die with all of this money, um, like spend it wisely. You know, if you want to leave some yeah. for other people, fine. I'm not leaving any to my kids. I told Ryan the other day, I was like, we, we did this whole trust and I was like, no, nah, we just need to blow it all because they need to make their own money. And it's this wonderful feeling of accomplishment when you do watch it grow and you've invested time and energy towards paying attention to it and bringing in other people that know more than you do about it. So I can't thank you enough for your time spent yeah. on our finances. I, I sleep well at night um, knowing that you and your team have an eye on it as well. We're going to put all of the links to Northwestern Mutual and you specifically in the show notes. Any closing thoughts you want to leave the listeners with today, Ryan? No, I, well, I guess, yes. I would say like we just spoke about, I don't think it's too soon or too late to look into these things and create a plan from my perspective uh, I'm a type of person that would want to know the good or the bad and rather than put my head in the sand. And so with a lot of clients, we will go through their retirement models and show them they're looking great. And then there's others where they're not so great. But when it's not so great, we at least give them, hey, here are the opportunities. Here's the options for you to get closer. You may or may not hit it, but at least we're all on the same page on what the you know realistic results could be. But yeah, ultimately, I think having knowledge of these things, not ignoring it and um, really just uh, being diligent about it. And again, this isn't that hard. If you look at this type of stuff, maybe quarterly at a minimum, yeah. annually, it's better than doing nothing. So yeah. I guess we'll leave it at that. And I think when you spend energy and focus on something, it grows. So I think that it's good, even if you've got credit card debt or, you know, student loans that still aren't sure. paid off, like to your point, I love that you said, you know, 
rather than putting your head in the sand, which is just going to trigger anxiety, guys. Just take a look at it and get somebody on board that knows more than you to help you sort it out. So thank you so much for spending time with us today, Ryan. I always love seeing you. And every everybody reach out if you feel like this is a sign and you need to get a financial advisor. All of his links are in the show notes.